0: Hello, Asha. How are you today? I'm
1: great. I'm really great, Um, but also concerned about the state of our country as we are facing the coronavirus or pandemic. So, uh, you know, we will fight through this. America is strong. Uh, But at
0: the same time, you know,
1: watching the number of uh, people that have died from this uh, pandemic is just awful. But we will fight through this. America will will, uh, defeat
0: the coronavirus. Uh, What made you start to run? There's so many things that a young woman like you, uh, I understand that you teach on a college level. Share that with me, why you want to run.
1: I want to run for many reasons. One is uh, to look out for the working class. And but overall to make sure that we all have the equal opportunity to achieve the American dream. And another reason why I run into it is that I am really big on making sure that we're all safe while we're trying to achieve that American dream. So we need to make sure that I want to make sure that we have someone who understands national security foreign policy, which is expecting the constitution from a congressional member. So going back to the first point as far as making sure that we have equal rights to achieve the American dream, Um, when I was uh, growing up in Tarrytown, I was in 12th grade, and uh, 9-11 happened. And uh, 9-11 changed my life uh, for several reasons. One, um, I watched one of my uncles, my father's brother, I mean, my mother's brother actually was impacted from 9-11. He uh, survived the attack, but he was there during the, that attack, as well as his, his girlfriend at the time. She was in the building of Inspector Four. Um, and watching that happen over time, uh, really, uh, it was an emotional um, experience, but it also led me to want to serve my country. So, um, when I um, graduated from high school, I, I uh, attended uh, school at college at Hanson University, down in Hampton, Virginia. And um, when I graduated from college, um, I I received a commission in the armed services, the um, United States Army Reserve as a second lieutenant. It was a great opportunity. Um, I felt like I accomplished something so patriotic, so great, uh, especially when it comes to learning about leadership, but it was also a scary um, experience too. It was around the time when every time you turned on the TV, you heard about a service member oh, under the age of 25 on average who was their life and serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, the death toll was pretty high around that time. So we, so I did not, when I was commissioned, I commissioned into the United States military while they were facing two wars. And it was uh, pretty scary. So. But moving forward, um, you know I was inspired to learn more about international affairs um, through many avenues. One was uh, I actually did a couple of military missions with the, um, mil- um with the army serving in Central America and with like Nicaragua and also El salvador, learning about the social economic conditions uh, for Central Americans when it comes to border security, uh, uh, economic challenges as well as political. Uh, political issues. And then um, after that, I I worked at the State Department, uh, worked on peacekeeping missions uh, at the United Nations, as well as uh, worked at the, um, um, excuse me, I attended school at Columbia University, uh, learned to receive my master's in international affairs and international security policy. Now moving along, um, after I graduated from school again, I deployed uh, to of places like Iraq, as well as Kuwait and Georgia, to work on security cooperation, which is building relationships with our key allies on how can we better protect not only our sovereignty, but their sovereignty by fighting against terrorism. Um, We also worked on counterterrorism work. Um, While I was out out in in the Middle East, there was an unfortunate situation where... uh, ISIS broke out into Syria and went into Iraq and uh it you know, pretty much impacted our um our our military mission. So we ended up being in charge of the mission against ISIS. So it was a huge uh disruption for us So we had to fight it and um and what's really interesting about that experience is that uh we were actually working with the Iraqis uh at that time where they most of their country was was uh, controlled by a terrorist group like ISIS, and we were helping to not only rebuild their military, but help fight against uh, a group like ISIS. So
0: well, my con- my concern is, uh, sorry to just uh, mm-hmm. to interrupt you. My concern is I, I taught at Lehman College for 35 years, and uh, my concern was the young people that I met, I even had two of them on my show who were veterans they are the the rising number, the biggest rising number in homelessness. At this point in time, as of April 15th or 16th, the United States spends half of their money, 51 or 52% on war. How do we transfer or consider transfer half of this to the young people who are un- who are underemployed, unemployed, or just plain out and out homeless, who served our country, and those who have PDS.
1: That, that's a really interesting question, um, and I will tell you, I'm a veteran who could have faced homelessness. Um, you know, when you come out of the military for quite some time, um, it is hard. It is like coming out of jail. You have to uh, rebuild your life. You want to make sure you achieve, you know, the quality of life by having, by trying to apply for a really good job, you know, live good. And it's not easy, especially in a uh, county like Westchester County where it's very expensive. So um, how can we prioritize that? And one way we do that is trying to really try to end these wars. Uh, put an end to it but in order to do that we have to make sure that Congress strategizes uh a a, a um a, a framework that leads us to the end of the wars right so our, the reason why this happened for so long is because there has been no strategy uh, we also um, never really support um um dr the Bar- um, congressman Deborah Lee's initiative saying hey let us let um, the to of the military force. So there's just no strategy. This has been ongoing and ongoing, and um, and it once we we are at a point where we're ending these wars, that's a free of money to go towards the VA, to go towards other domestic priorities to help support ending uh, homelessness for veterans, or help them make sure that they actually have a
0: job and good living. Um, Absolutely, this, um, my daughter when she went in. Uh, she said that most of the people that she was trained with were from small communities. If they were from cities, they truly went in to have a better life, be all that you can be. And I've had too many clients, I'm a social worker also, to say, if you see what happens over there, you take stuff just to Zoom you out, and they often will come out with a dishonorable after being doing all of the work that they didn't particularly want to do. Please help me and the audience understand how are we going to change this.
1: Well, as mentioned before, we have the uh, we have to end the ND board, and um, another another thing too, we have to make sure that we effectively reform the VA that we, um, we uh, support um, policies to help modernize the VA so that veterans actually have the confidence and the will to use the VA. The problem that you're seeing with a lot of veterans is that they don't go to the VA. And, and even the ones that you really need it, like those that are homeless, uh, they're facing um, you know, mental uh, issues um, or have mental health issues, uh, they're also facing issues as far as finding a good local job, Uh, the VA is there for them, but the VA has disadvantages too to take them in and make sure that they're being effectively taken care of. So in order to do so, that's another reason I wanted for Congress, that Congress is actually the place to address those main issues, is to help veterans. But we have to make sure, and not all of it is money, it's just a matter of modernizing the VA into a 21st century institution. It's uh, it's out of touch with uh, with uh, management in terms of like systems and how to deal with the the you know like bookkeeping or record keeping or or making sure that the um, veterans get the best um, you know healthcare services from doctors that really mm-hmm. understand their issues. That's all managed on the federal level. So, but the the whole point is, is to make sure that it trans- that the VA transition to a 21st century. Uh, institution that understands and it can effectively address uh,
0: veterans and military family issues. That's uh, that's what we have to do, because it's mm-hmm. not being addressed. I remember my yeah. father was in the veterans hospital in uh, Orange, New Jersey. There was and it was on Memorial Day. There was hardly anybody there to see him. I think mm-hmm. to see the people on the floor, and so we have to. I think raise consciousness of many of the people who are out here that these young people are by are literally by themselves and they went into the service to serve, serve their country but also to have a better life.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. What,
0: uh, uh, one of the things that came out, I don't know how you address it, uh certainly your aunt was a, a true spearhead in this in this uh, Area was that at this point, seems like as soon as we, many people are going to the middle income. At this point, child care is higher. All all over the country. Is higher than going to college. How do we address some issues uh, such as that?
1: Well, we have to really make sure we hold the local and state government accountable of, of ensuring that we have affordable child care, um, affordable child care is, is, uh, is becoming more of a reality for us. Um, I know people that don't use it because it's just, you know, and I'm a mother, so I understand this, this is personal to me and they don't they they reach out to their, you know, family members instead of actually using a local daycare center or facility. Because it's too much money, so I think that the costs have been too much in limbo as far as it's rising up like rent, and we really, really need to make sure that we hold the local and state government accountable of reducing or or um, creating some sort of incentive or uh, something that really a uh, payment or cost that really can be affordable. That's unrealistic. I I believe it's been really unrealistic over the years. In fact. On average, I've seen where you know t- child care costs about, about $800 a week.
0: I mean, that is wow, wow, and especially when you're not bringing home $800 a week. I mean, that's what you're bringing home. If you're making right. $1,500, you're bringing home $800, uh, that's what you're bringing home,
1: right? Right, and um, and you know, we need to have make sure that we have uh more Americans, especially in this district where it's already expensive to live in, by the way, that they think we can give them more coverage to afford child care. Now, I will tell you, I will bring, as a, as your elected official, I will look out for child care. Some will call it universal child care. Only if if I continuously see that this is a broken issue on the local and state level, right? If this is this can't be really can't be resolved. That it's constantly limbo, the costs is constantly are are going up, it's out of control, they're failing uh the local and state level is failing to address this issue, then I would definitely bring it to the federal issue to make sure that we support universal child care.
0: Oh, that's excellent. Could you tell me uh what Nita Lowey's, what her district is and from where to where and how do you meet those needs?
1: Yeah. This is exact, actually this is a very fragmented um, district. Uh, it is, the district includes um, Westchester County, but not the entire Westchester County. Uh, so it includes um, uh, Peace Briarcliff, Austin, Terrytown, Irvington, uh as well as uh, White Plains, Greenbird, uh, Fort Chester, and uh, Rye. Um, also, it includes um, the entire Rockwell, mostly the uh, Rockland County. Really? Um, yes. Yeah. So, uh, so when you look at after redistricting in 2013, uh, they took away uh, not like places like Mount Vernon, Yonkers, and um, New Rochelle, and marinick and Hastings, and parts of Scarsdale, and uh, they gave that to District 16, and uh, so. I think it's going to change after, you know, they're going to do redistricting again. You know, that's why we did this, the census, but uh, it is a, it's fragmented in many ways. Um, and I will tell you too, looking at the map, I mean, when you differentiate between Westchester and Rockland, it's like two different worlds. Their concerns are, some of the concerns they're dealing with is different from here. And a lot of it's the same too, but I'll give you one example. The number one issue that I hear a lot of folks, on both in both counties is housing. The housing crisis is a real issue here. And, um, but the way you, um, the way you resolve it is a little bit different. So in Westchester County, there, you know, there's a big dispute between um, rent control issues, as well as, you know, uh, property owners that are just going in and building new areas. And they're becoming, some of them not all, are you know, you know, are less sensitive to to those that have lived in these uh, apartment buildings or have been paying rent for many years. But then to come back in and move back in it's been a hard process for them. It's been very difficult to where they've been wiped out and have to move somewhere else. And mostly a lot of them either move to Yonkers and or they move to the south. So the gentrification piece to it has been really has been not so good for some people here in Westchester County because they feel like they're being pushed out. But then on the other side, uh, there's some similarities, but it's a little bit different when it comes to housing crisis. HUD um, is also a problem on both sides, but but um, but on, in um, Rockland County, you're seeing where uh, you have um, a group there uh, where they are buying up a lot of the property and they're buying up from. Um, other people and and it's creating a lot of tension between that group and other groups. so I feel that in their situation there needs to be some sort of like mediation going on as far as how do we how do we uh, resolve the issues or address the issues on both aisles so it's different compared to what you're seeing in Westchester county.
0: What does a Portchester have in common with scarsdale? Well, I should say, Briarcliff Manor. Briarcliff is one of the most expensive places, and Scarsdale to live in the United States. So, what does Port Chester and part of Yonkers have with in common with them?
1: Yes, there is a huge uh, population of Hispanic that lives in Port Chester and in um, um, Yonkers. And, in fact, there's a growing number of them that are undocumented or their permanent residents. And that's different compared to places like Club where you tend to deal with more registered U.S. citizen voters. Um, In Port Chester, uh, the lower, the uh, voter turnout is a lot lower because there's so many undocumented immigrants that live there, um, or immigrants that have not received their citizenship. Also, the conditions are different, too. Uh, It's more diverse. Uh, You know, it looks like Central America. In fact, after I came out of El Salvador, I ran to Port Chester to eat the same food I ate in Central America because it it, it just reminds you (laughs) of Central America. So it's a it's a diverse diverse area. A lot of Brazilian um, representation there too. So you know, mixture South America as well as South uh, South America and and um. Um, in Port Chester, and then nothing like what you see in
0: Briarcliff. And uh, isn't isn't Cherrytown uh, similar? The heart okay, of Cherrytown.
1: So, so a little different. Cherrytown um, um, has the, a very heavy Ecuadorian community as well as Dominican community. Um, less less Central American. Where what you'll see that we have a big Chilean community as well there. Um, but um, but it's not. But again, the, the breakdown of the Hispanic population uh, is different uh, compared to Port Chester, where it's a little more Caribbean, but then you do have the growing Ecuadorian um, population, too, as well. Um, another point I want to mention, too, is that as far as African-American representation in Perrytown and Port Chester, it's very similar where the numbers have declined over the years. And many of them have actually uh, moved to the South uh, for many reasons. They one, as I just mentioned to you, they could not, have, they just couldn't afford to live here or they just wanted to buy a home. So they decided to move to the South.
0: One of the questions I have to ask, and many people, especially young people, because it impacts them, is our high incarceration rate. And for the past 10 years, uh, Crime has gone down, but the the amount of people that are incarcerated almost remains the same. And this on a federal level, I'm not talking about a, a uh local or state level, how do we begin to address those issues that impact on Latinos, Hispanics, and people of African descent? Right.
1: That's a really good question because I think for the most part, looking at on the federal down to the state and local level, there there has been, I can pretty much say there's been a lot of um, improvement in terms of support and progressive criminal justice reform uh, laws or or initiatives where you're seeing a uh, a reduction in massive incarceration. And I know that for a fact because I have family members that work in uh, corrections and they have told me where the number of inmates in in the jail system has significantly dropped because the federal level has pretty much uh, pressured the state to uh, reduce the number of arrests. Um, and we saw that with the new um, this new bail system where you know it, it was uh, it to the point where it's so progressive to where it's harder to actually get thrown in jail, and they're giving people more opportunity. To uh, to wiggle out their way from a misdemeanor, so there's just uh, so I think for the most part we are more progressive in terms of making sure that we address mass incarceration. That we still have a long way to go, but that is a good point. But my concern more about criminal justice reform is more with how do we support transition or transitional um, um, initiatives to help these people uh, avoid them, or, or um, keep going back in jail? How can we give them a better quality of life? What programs are the programs that we have right now? Are they really working? What can we do if they're not working? What is, what, what kind of programs can really help them achieve a better quality of life? So um, that, I think, the transition piece to, to this is more, I think, it's more of a focus for me, like uh, making sure that they have, a quality job, uh, you know, that can help pay their bills because that's one reason why I support $15, $15 minimum wage, but I really do support it with a wage because right now you can't live off $15 in this, uh, $15 an hour here, and especially in this county, it, it's just not enough.
0: You yes, in this county, but, uh, what's going, the backfire to that is someplace like Mississippi Alabama is going to say, uh, well, they don't pay people that kind of money. Uh, I remember a while ago that uh, there was an African American man that was up for a superintendent in one of the southern states. And what his income was going to be equivalent to, let's say, a, a principal in New York. I mean, there is such a disparity. He was going to be paid the third highest amount of money uh if anybody in that particular state. But what I hear you're saying, I think I may mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I hear you're saying the same thing for many of the young people who come home from the United States service. Yeah. That whole transition period. How how do I go about getting a job? And and those who are in federal prison uh who have been there for a while, what what how this little phone fit in my hand. What do you mean? I have to do this, or you have to do that? Life has changed tremendously. Yes, yes. And the
1: integration process is tough. And if our society fails to provide um, programs that, or you know, or uh, jobs or programs or opportunities that can really effectively make sure that they have a better quality life so they can avoid becoming a criminal again, then you're gonna to continuously to see this cycle of of people be that are in pursuit of uh, criminal behavior. And it's it's very unfortunate, but I, I just know a lot of young men, they don't wanna get in trouble or they wanna make good money and they're struggling to do so. Even those with a college degree, you'd be surprised, right? And um and what do they do? they they get involved in activities that are illegal in order just to live, and then they find themselves back into the trouble. So they want, but that wasn't their initial intent. Their initial intent was to find a really good paid job so they can pay off their bills and save and, and have a nice retirement,
0: but it's just, it's just really difficult to do that now. Now, everyone talks about that, but they don't put any meat on the bones of Infrastructure, and I can see these young men coming out of federal prison or uh, out of the service. They have, they do have skills that can fix our infrastructure, from our highway to the bridges to uh, to what was it? A few months ago, a woman was walking down uh, somewhere in Manhattan, and. The top falls down on a head and kills it. Those kinds of things. How do we address in a federal manner the infrastructure that we can have these young men work at? Because we're being pit against each other. You know, you keep certain people in prison or in service, and then you get the cheapest labor from out of the country to do the work that these young people can do.
1: Realistically, has programs um, in the district that can make sure that can address those cha- those challenges or issues that you're talking about. So, as your elected official, uh, we would definitely be passing a criminal justice reform uh, transitional uh, legislation that that will appropriate money to our district that will ensure that whatever. That money we've been out here giving is goes goes to programs that can uh, best um, address these issues. I, I I just don't see that sometimes. I don't feel that we like. I think there was a criminal there was a criminal justice reform bill not too long ago, about a, a year and a half ago under the under Trump administration, and it was like okay, we have a bill that uh, provides programs for those that come out of jail that they can. Actually, find a job or have access to mental health uh, is um, programs, but for some reason, it just did not make its way here. I don't see it really here, um, but there are a lot of programs right now, especially places like the Hall of Corrections, where young people can actually uh, build on their skill sets, uh, learn how to read. That's very important. You know, a lot of don't know how to read. Uh, build on other important. Um, uh, skill sets that can help them go back in uh, or reintegrate with the rest of the um uh reintegrate into society. But um but for some reason it just we need more to do that because we're still seeing this cycle of cruel behavior. Now we probably also definitely need more when it comes to mental health because that is also issue too. You can tell a, a young man or young woman who's has out of jail, Hey, uh, you know, try to get a job, try to um, you know, get a better living, but their their mental health is not necessarily in place. So there is a knot there we need to work on, too, as well. And I know that the state has uh, done a lot in terms of making sure we have uh, that all Americans or so everybody in New York State has access to quality health care, uh, mental uh, health care services, but we still need to uh, expand on that because um, a lot of it, it still, it's not, it's still a scarcity of those types of services here in, in the district. And I would address that on a federal level.
0: Do You know, we have been talking for a half an hour. You packed so much in this. I'd like to talk to you in another two weeks because I think the people out there are going to be just floored with you. I think that you are bright. I love to see all these bright young women you are that hope that we all have and uh, I certainly we can is this Wednesday? Maybe we'll pick up another Wednesday and talk again in two weeks. Is that okay? Because I know that there are other issues yes there are other issues I know